Women on the Line acknowledges the people of the Kulin Nations, who are the true owners, caretakers and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. We pay respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, and we recognise that the stolen lands have never been ceded. episode of Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne on Wurundjeri country. And the show is broadcast across the community radio network across the nation. And I'm Shahrazad Blue. Welcome back. So in today's episode, we'll be journeying to the Rift or actually to Andalusia where we'll be joined by Salwa Elomari to discuss a social movement originating from the Rift which is a northern indigenous region of Morocco. The movement concentrates on the civil rights of the indigenous populations and you know we, we call it uh, Amazigh. Amazigh means free people in the dialects of those regions in North Africa. Okay, so joining us now is Salwa Elamari, who is a psychologist and activist working and living in Andalusia in Spain. She is from the northern region of Morocco, known as the Rif. She's also the founder and the president of the Rala Buya Association and is part of a human rights association named APDHA in Andalusia. So bordering the Mediterranean and sharing the only land border with Europe in Africa, the Rif is home to the first post-colonial state in Africa as well, after a successful guerrilla war against the Spanish colonizers in the 1920s. Carrying on from then, the Rif has continued to be a centre of struggle for civil and social rights in North Africa. And we are really pleased to have Salwa on the show to speak about the history of the struggle and the social rights movements of the region. And so we did this, or I did this interview in Spanish. We got uh, the wonderful Blossom Arquette to do the translation from Spanish to English. So firstly, thank you, Salwa, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for the invitation to the program and for your interest in the subject of the RIF. My name is Salwa, I'm 28 years old and I currently live in Spain in Andalusia. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do in Spain and for the RIF? I was born in the RIF in the city of Al Husayma and I've been working for a few years, almost four years now. In addition to my official profession as a psychologist, I also work unofficially as an activist, an activist for the RIF, for the RIF identity and also for human rights in general. So the RIF, which is home to the indigenous population known as Amazigh in northern Morocco, has long been a centre of social and civil rights struggle. So could you explain a little bit about the history of the various struggles and invasions of the region? During our history in the RIF, we've had many social movements throughout our struggle, 
The most important ones are the movements of the 1980s, the 1950s, 2011, which was the so-called Arab Spring in Maghreb the, in the Morocco region, and the last one in 2016. The last ones in recent years, it's true that they have been more social movements. However, the movements in the 80s and 50s were much more political than social. However, what characterizes all these struggles, what unites these struggles, is the struggle for an identity, an Amazigh identity in general, and a Rifian identity. And so how does the Moroccan government maintain its power over the people in the area of the Rif? I don't think we can summarise the control of a dictatorial state in one word because the power over the reef is a military power, an economic, cultural, linguistic and religious power. So why is it a military power? Because the Moroccan government keeps using an article of the constitution in which it can control the zone militarily as if it were a war zone. Why is it an economic power? Because in the reef area, they've always lived generally from fishing, tourism, agriculture, for example, from marijuana, and currently the area has no economic opportunities. My grandparents, who are fishermen, do not have work. None of the fishermen can fish. There are fishing agreements between Morocco and Spain where the reef receives no benefit. No fishermen can go fishing anymore. And the issues around agriculture have literally killed all the farmers in the area and there is no more agriculture in the reef. When it comes to the marijuana trade, small farmers never receive any profit. Only what we call the big fish make any profit, and they are not rifeños. It tends to be the government that obtains the agricultural benefits from marijuana. And tourism as well. The only ones that make any profit from the current tourism, which is domestic tourism, are the big hotels that belong to the big companies of the country and to the government. Taking all this into account, as we've already said, there is total economic power over the area. Linguistic power because it is obviously not possible to speak a Rifian language in any administration. All those who get work are Arabs, nor in the hospitals in the few that there are, nor in the police, they all speak Arabic. Remembering all this, of course, it's the same in schools and in institutions and all of that. Taking this into account, it's like the total elimination of a culture, of a language, a history. Apart from this, there is also a total control over social networks. No one can share a post about the reef. No one can create a post. No one can even wear a reef t-shirt in the street or shout, Viva el reef. Because once you do it, within a few minutes, you have the police or Moroccan spies kidnapping you so that you never repeat the same thing again. So I think that not only is there control, I think we're also talking about silencing an entire population. So uh, like many uh, Rifians, you joined the Herak Rif, uh, which was a social movement from two, what, 2016, 2017. So can you tell us a little bit more about this movement and why you joined? In 2017, I, like all the Rifenias, especially the women, 
at the beginning, we were more like almost separate. We participated in a less active way. We were not activists. We were only participants in the movement. Until 2017, when the Moroccan regime began to kidnap and arrest many, many young people, children, everyone in general, the numbers were higher than 8,000 people. So this action by the Moroccan regime awoke in all of us Rifeños, especially those who are in the diaspora in countries in Europe, outside Morocco in general. A lot of anger within us, a lot of pain, a lot of emotion. And as an initiation, at least for me, this anger made me start acting, start doing things at the beginning for me. They were just simple things, for example, like talks and discussions, activities to make our struggle visible to visibilize the suffering of the Riffian people, to visibilize these arbitrary detentions, visibilize these tortures, these demonstrations that started as peaceful. However, the responses of the Moroccan government were totally aggressive, bloody, and some of the demonstrations even ended with a murder. So with the media silence that existed in Morocco and the media silence that existed in Europe, in Spain here, in Andalusia, even though we're only 14 kilometers from Morocco, even so, no information arrived. The Spanish know nothing of the RIF, nor of what the Moroccan regime is doing in the RIF. So I've taken on this obligation, this responsibility to make this struggle known, especially these human rights violations by the Moroccan government in the RIF. Uh, the RIF, it shares the it shares a border with Spain, with the enclaves of Melilla and Celta. Uh, and when you talk about Spain, I find it interesting that this is the only border in Africa with Europe. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, the borders are not only the borders of Spain with Morocco, but they're also the borders of Europe with Africa. So nowadays, at least currently speaking, Morocco is acting like the guardian of these borders for Spain and for Europe in general. Those borders for me are more borders of the great violations of human rights, where the great violations of human rights occur, not only against the Rifeños and Rifeñas, who are considered to be refugees and entitled to protection, but also for a lot of people who try to cross those borders just to be able to improve their situation or find an opportunity in Europe, or also as applicants for international protection. Currently, they are completely close to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a tourist or if you're a person without documentation or even if you are one of the Moroccans who used to work in these border towns. Currently, there is a total closure. The disclosure is not only because of the COVID situation, but it began a year before coronavirus. Uh, what's literally known, uh, I think, outside of Morocco and the region and outside of the diaspora um, is that the Amaziah populations so and the indigenous populations of North Africa, who are not Arab, um, were matriarchal societies before the various invasions of the last few centuries, including the Arab invasions. And this movement had and always has had a strong participation of women. So can you expand? I know you talked about it a little bit before, but can you expand on this point? Yeah, so throughout our history as Riffians, we've always grown up with female characters and leadership. So it's not really new in the Rift that there are suddenly activists who are women. Although it is also true that with the Arab colonization of Africa in general, and especially with Islamization of Africa, the role of women declined negatively and the general participation of women in society declined negatively as well. But thanks to the movement, the Riffian women returned to lead demonstrations to fight as the main activists in the movement and here in the diaspora, especially to be the visible face of the movement. 
to give talks, to participate in the media and to be the visible face and image of the movement in the diaspora. And you founded the Rala Buya uh, Rif Andalusian Social Cultural Association. Um, and the purpose of it is to provide residents in Andalusia with the necessary knowledge uh, about the culture and the history of the Rif. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about Rala Buya, um, whose name refers to an Amazigh queen who fought against the Arab invasion of North Africa? We mainly chose Buya's name, first of all, because of what I mentioned before, about the role of women always in maintaining this Rufian identity and culture, because we consider that it is thanks to women that the Rufian language has been maintained, that the Rufian culture has been maintained, that the Rufian values, the Rufian songs, etc. have been maintained. So taking into account that this movement elevated this identity and the courage of Rufian women, we considered it important that the name reflect the role of women. Of course, we spent a long time trying to choose between so many Rufian leaders throughout Amazigh history, but we finally chose Buya's name because even though the Moroccan regime did everything possible so that there would be no more books, there are no more books, and there is no more writing in general about the history of our story. But as I mentioned now, thanks to women, we have maintained a lot of things orally, things that our grandmothers, our mothers tell us, for example. And one of the things that they always tell us are the songs, the stories and the tales. And always in those stories and songs, Buja's name tends to be repeated. Buja is not only a name that is used for singing, but she was also a very brave leader many centuries ago. This leader fought against the opposition and she was part of the opposition who fought against Arab colonization at the time, the Islamist colonization. And the entire population and society throughout the centuries remembered her bravery and used her and asked Buya to fulfill their wishes, even after her death. They admired her so much that they put her in songs and music. So the word Buya, because it is her name, and Rala, which means something like majesty, so like an admiration for her. So we chose this name, obviously, to make known the importance of women in Rufian society, and then as an objective of the association to make known our identity here in Andalusia, because, as I said before, even though we're no more than 14 kilometres away, nothing is known of our identity, of our culture, and it's important that the Andalusians know the Rufian people, because it was also part of their history a few centuries ago. Uh, and I think, Salwa, you had a song that you were going to share with us. Um, so did you want to introduce uh, the song and tell us a little bit about it and why you chose it? Yeah, I chose this one because, first of all, it's a woman's voice. And secondly, even though it's new, it's also traditional music. That's why I like it. Supposedly, this song is a poem which contains many hidden layers because, of course, if it's too direct, they won't publish it. Hidden layers and perhaps another person, a non-Rifian person, would think that the song is about an oppressed woman. But no, the song is talking about an oppressed people and an oppressed culture. So that's why I've always really liked Rif music in general, because it contains a lot of layers and a lot of information about what the Rif population suffers through. And what was the name of the song and who is it by? 
Asuksi means the question or a question, because in general, the song asks questions about pain, about love, about oppression. I think that's why they're called Asuksi, which means question. It's by a very old Rifian group, well, from our generation, the generation of the 80s and 90s, and it's called Rif Experience, or like the experience of the Rif. You were just listening to a translation by Blossom Arquette of Salwa El Omari, who joined us to discuss the Rif and the movements of the Rif. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you have been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices broadcast on the Community Radio Network. And that was a song named Asuksi by Riff Experience. We now return to hear more about what's happening in the Riff region in the north of Morocco since 2017, since the mass arrests, with our wonderful guest, Salwa El Amari. And if you've just tuned in, uh, this interview was originally conducted in Spanish and the translations are by Blossom Arquette. So we left off the interview discussing women's participation and the importance of matriarchal lineages in transmitting knowledges, especially Indigenous knowledges. Um, but if we return now to what's happening in, in the region, um, can you let us know what's happened since the mass arrests of 2017? Yeah, after the arrests, which obviously, as you have said, have been massive, well, I think the best example would be in my neighbourhood over there in Al-Husayma. On every corner, I remember that there was always a lot of young people who came together to chat, to meet, to play, 
children. And I remember the last time I was able to visit my neighborhood, there was no one. I think the best situation to describe or the best explanation for this is beforehand the neighborhood was full and now it's empty. Why is it empty? Because 80% of these children, of these young people, ended up in prisons. And the rest of the young people are either hiding in fear or preparing to come across to Europe in a small boat. At the moment, right now, especially the situation of these young people is very distressing. Every day I receive messages saying, Salwa, I need to get out of here. I have no choice but to get out of here. It hurts my heart a lot whenever they turn to me for solutions. Because I have no solutions. I'm nobody. I'm just a young woman trying to offer information. But I cannot help. So these young people almost always find themselves with the options of risking their lives in a small boat and crossing the sea because they really have no other option. They don't come because they want to. They come because they have to. They have no other option. Mm, yeah. And so how has the COVID-19 and the pandemic contributed to uh, the conditions in the RIF? Okay, well, on one hand, on a health level in general and on a socio-health level, taking into account that the RIF has never generally had hospitals, or this has never had hospitals of any quality. So in this way, at least, it's nothing new. There are always people suffering, whether it's from cancer, whether it's from COVID, even if it's just from a normal illness. So at least in these areas, on a socioeconomic level, remembering that these young people already had no economic options for many centuries, there are no job opportunities, there are no professional or training opportunities either. There are no universities or anything. And then the few outlets which they used to have, especially in the cities of the Rif, which are close to the borders, from Melilla to Salta, at least these people used to make a little bit of money through trade because of these borders. However, when COVID came and because the Moroccan government had also already made the decision around these closures at an economic level to prohibit this type of trade, which was like their last escape valve for these young people. So now they no longer have any other option. I even remember one guy telling me, Salwa, I only have two options here. Either come to Europe or commit suicide. So taking into account that in terms of educational training, as I said before, there was none. And suddenly due to the COVID situation, they cannot even travel from one city to another. The only thing that I think is being achieved is to stifle or suffocate these people even more. They were already drowning and now even more so. And this violence in the border countries and the border cities, um, not just the crossing of the Mediterranean or the crossing of border borders, um, is often not talked about. Can you talk a little bit about the solidarity with other struggles? Okay, well, before COVID, obviously, because after COVID, there are no more collaborations or unions either. Before the COVID situation, we activists as beginners realised that we lacked a lot of experience in the world of activism. Uh, because as Rufenios and Rufenias in Europe, we are new in this world of struggles and causes in Europe. Therefore, we considered it interesting and necessary to learn from other movements, from other ethnic groups, from other social groups that may be in the same situation, such as, for example, the Kurds or other social groups that have much more experience than we do. So, well, before COVID, we had some meetings to get to know each other and to understand how they do their activities here in Europe and how they've managed to visibilize their struggle. 
because, well, we are making it visible, but very slowly. But for our people, we need something fast and long-lasting because we need a solution. We cannot stand here and just watch as our children kill themselves at sea little by little. So we had some meetings and we'd even started to organise seminars, but obviously because of COVID, everything came to a standstill. And so for you, how do you envision a solution for the Reef or a solution in the Reef? I think there would be two ways or paths, and both paths should be taken because both are important. The first one for me is urgent. It would be to advise well, to inform our young people well who are still there in the reef and want to leave that area. Because I believe that information is power. Information can give you life, and especially if you're in the middle of the sea, and especially because many of the Fenyos do not understand that they may have the option to apply for international protection upon their arrival to Europe. So for me, the main way would be to inform our younger defenders of their rights and of the resources and solutions in general, so that there are fewer lives lost, deaths and shipwrecks. The second way would also be to work to visibilize our identity, not only our struggle, but our history, our culture, our identity here in Europe and mainly here in Spain. Because it's not only for the Spanish and Europeans, but also for the new generation of Rifians who are growing up as Spanish citizens, because they are Rifeños and they know nothing of their history and culture. And I think it's also important for them to know the history of their struggle and how interwoven their culture is. And thank you so much for coming on today and accepting the invitation. We really appreciated that. No, thanks to you most of all and to the program in general for giving us the opportunity to speak, for giving us the opportunity to make our culture, identity, situation and struggle in general visible and known. That was Salva Elomari, who is a psychologist and activist working and living in Andalusia in Spain. She is from the northern region of Morocco, known as the Rif, and she is also the founder and president of the Ralabuya Association. And I also want to thank Blossom Arquette for doing those fabulous translations for us. Um, and that's all we have time for today. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send us an email to womenonthelinen at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 0394198377. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program and it's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Cavara, and our programs can be downloaded from 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line, and you can listen back to our shows on your favourite podcasting app. I'm Shahrazad Blaw, and tune in next week to hear more content from Women on the Line on your local community radio station.
Wait, yeah.